I'm Ben Hoffman. I'm a research analyst at GiveWell, but I'm not here to share any GiveWell opinions. These are all my own private thoughts. Um, I'm going to start with a story uh, about Billy the grad student. Billy the grad student is studying ecology because when she was 16, she thought that that was a pretty plausible way to protect the world, and she wanted to protect the world. And now she has just learned about effective altruism, and boy, she's excited. I mean, I don't just have to do some good. I could try and do the most good. That seems better. Uh, and so, right, she has learned about effective altruism, and now there's all these ideas she could learn about. And she reads about it, and she thinks about it, and she talks with people, and she learns about effective charities, and she learns about earning to give, and she learns about direct work, and she learns about movement building, and she learns about the far future, and she learns about animal welfare. Oh, so, much th so many things. And this one seems plausibly better than what she's doing. And that other thing seems like it could be the most important thing, but she's not really sure. And this other thing seems like it would be more fun and also like a little more good. And there's so many things... And it all kind of feels like words, and she's not really sure what to do with it, and she does another year of grad school. <laughs> does that sound familiar? Do you know people like that? All right, some of you. So, why is it scary to try new things? I see some people trying genuinely new things, taking real risks, possibly being wrong. And I see lots of people who are maybe a little bit stuck, who maybe haven't quite reached that point. And I'm curious about why. And I think, and so one thing you could consider if something is scary is it's like actually just right not to do it. Uh, maybe if like trying really new, weird-seeming things is really scary, we should just not do it. Uh, and I think there's a problem with this. The problem with that is as effective altruists, we are trying to get better results than the past, better results than we otherwise might have done. If you want better results, you can't follow the same procedure. You have to do something different. Uh, so we can't get away with just not doing anything different. Well, maybe we're wrong to be scared of it. Maybe we should just take all the risks and that'll be just fine. I think there are legitimate reasons why people flinch from that. Uh, one is that you might look silly. Uh, people might laugh at you. You might end up doing something that looks very strange. It might actually be very strange. Uh, but there's another, and that's a legit fear. Uh, which I'm not here to talk about, uh, but I don't want to deprecate it. It's actually important. There's another reason why we can flinch from trying new things, and that is that we might be wrong. Linus Pauling is a double Nobelist in chemistry, and he spent the last years of his life telling people that vitamin C will cure their cancer. So, yeah, sometimes you'll be wrong, even if you're quite smart, even if you're quite good at things, and that can cause actual harm. So we can't get away with not doing new things, and we can't get away with not being wrong about them. What can we do? So I'm going to try to present some ways to get around that. 
I think that what ideally what we'd want is to both avoid the trap of just embracing the wrong belief, grabbing onto it, and like trying the new thing and running with it forever, and the trap of just getting stuck in indecision. Uh, there are some processes that work for continually noticing when you're making an error and getting better at it. I'm going to describe one of them, and then a way I think we can apply it to circumstances that are more directly relevant to effective altruism. Uh, so when I was a kid, I took violin lessons, and when I practiced, I would get my violin out, I would play the piece, and at some point I would get to the part that was kind of hard or I didn't know quite well, and I'd kind of fudge it and rush through it and then get to the part I knew again, and I'd finish, and then I'd start back at the beginning of the piece and do it a few times. It wasn't that interesting, but I was a dutiful kid, so sometimes I did it, uh, and I didn't feel like I was learning that much. Several years later, I read a book by Jeff Colvin called Talent is Overrated, which talks about a wider-known, well-studied thing called deliberate practice. Uh, do you know the concept? Okay, most, not all. So the gist of it is when you are trying to get better at something that you might not be good at yet, instead of trying to, fo trying to perform the whole thing well immediately, instead of working on the whole thing, you focus on the areas where you're underperforming. You figure out what about them isn't quite going right. Then instead of just going, I'm going to do it right this time, you figure out what it is you need to change about your, your performance to do better and work on just that piece until it's easy. And then you move on to the next problem. So a related hack, you can accelerate this in circumstances where it's hard for you to see your flaws, but it's easy for someone else to through coaching. But what do you do if you don't have access to immediate feedback at all? You might have a belief about something that's far away, abstract, high level, and it's hard to tell whether that belief is true, if it's false, what kind of a mistake you're making. Thinking is pretty hard. Uh, so what I do to get better at that has two steps. First, I lay out the argument for why I believe something. Uh, sometimes I get stuck on that step, and that's pretty important evidence. If, if it turns out that I can't think of good reasons to believe a thing I'm considering, well, like, maybe I'm done. Uh, but if I can come up with plausible good reasons, then I test each step. Uh, the main question I ask is, what would the world look like if this were right? I don't limit myself to tests I know to be possible, but tests I can imagine. What could I see if this were right? What would look different if it were wrong? And which one do I sort of expect to happen? Uh, let's talk about Billy the grad student again. Let's say she's particularly intrigued by the idea of switching fields. She wants to do biomedical research because the number of lives saved seems higher than in ecology. So she tries to figure out, why would I believe that that's true? I've heard this argument, but I'll put it aside and try and think it through myself. Well, first, I'm, what's going to happen if I go into that field? Well, I'll have to apply to a new program. I'll study. I'll get a research job. I'll work in a lab. 
I'll do sciencey things. So the model's incomplete. Uh, so Billy doesn't give up there. She's like, okay, what happens if, what, what possible causal chains could produce an impact in the world? Well, let's see. How could something in the lab end up affecting something outside the lab? Scientists write papers, right? Yeah. So if I do research and I discover something, then I'll write a paper about it, and then, and then what? Well, I guess someone would read it, and then they'd do something based on it. Maybe, uh, let's see, invent a medicine? Yeah, okay. So I write a paper, and I guess they'd have to be in the pharmaceutical industry, right? So someone in the pharmaceutical industry reads my paper and decides and has an idea for medicine, and they invent it, and the medicine saved lives, saves lives. All right, now Billy's got a model. Uh, it's plausible. What's she going to do to test it? Well, what could I go and see in the world that would be true only if that were my future, if my papers would be read by someone who would then invent a medicine which would then save lives? Well, huh. I guess that would be true. I'm not that different from researchers now, so I'd see papers right now giving people ideas. I guess I could go ask the people who I sort of expect to be reading these papers and doing things based on them, whether that's actually what they do. So Billy does that, and doesn't just have an experimental test for her model of how this career change would have an impact on the world. She also has a way to refine the model, make it more detailed. And if she does choose that path, continue to maximize her impact later on by her choice of uh, research specialty, by the people she collaborates with. So I think this is a pretty general way to cause your beliefs to be about real things. I think if, if you do this on one belief, you have a good chance of making that one belief more accurate. If you do it over and over again, I think you're going to change something else. I often feel when I'm reading arguments about stuff that's outside of my experience, that's abstract, that's in an area I'm unfamiliar with, like it's sort of just puzzles or word games, uh, and it's a clever argument, but I'm not really sure that I'm reliably agreeing with it because it's true. When I spend a long time asking myself, well, what argument would I generate? What, what does each step in the argument cause me to expect? And like, what can I go look at in the world that would tell me if that's true? Then I find that it starts feeling less like just a bunch of words and more like I actually anticipate something in the mundane world I interact with every day. Thank you. <laughs>